You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. I commend you for being in God's house tonight. I believe God has a special word for you and me tonight. Turn with me to the gospel according to Judges, Judges chapter 1, Judges chapter 1. I'll give you a moment uh, to find it. Uh, Judges chapter 1, uh, we're going to begin in just a moment with um, verse number 1, uh, Judges 1, uh, rather verse number 4, and Judges chapter 1, verse number 4, I'll give you a moment uh, to find it uh, in God's house uh, tonight, uh, Judges 1, verse number 4, um, would you please stand with me for the reading of, of God's word tonight, uh, verse number 4, and Judah went up. And the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they defeated 10,000 men in Bezak. They found Adonah Bezak in Bezak, and they fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonah Bezak fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Now, you thought you had a challenging Monday? I'm telling you. Adonah Bezak had a rough Monday, and it wasn't called Snowflake. Um, and Adonah Bezak said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather up scraps under my table. As I have done, God has repaid me. So they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the day you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have We're so thankful, Lord, for what you do provide for us, especially in days like these. Thank you for warmth, heaters, houses, roofs over our heads. Lord, thank you. But even in things like this, you provide for us. Wow. We thank you for it, Lord. And, Lord, I pray tonight that you will do something extra special in our hearts tonight. Help us to understand the battle that we face. But, Lord, help us to understand how we overcome. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to speak, and everything I'm about to say will be directed by you. And, Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen and amen. You may be seated. I want you to imagine with me tonight a scene. Uh, It's a strange scene. Um, You and I are an invited guest. Um, There is beautiful music, friendly revelry. There is excitement at the banquet hall. And while you're there enjoying everything that the banquet has, you notice in the middle of that banquet hall is a long banquet table. And it's covered with white linen and And filled with all kinds of foods and delicacies. You're enjoying everything. And you begin to hear some strange noises. You try to figure out what these noises are. You try to figure out where they are coming from. You finally come to the conclusion that these noises are coming from underneath the king's banquet table. Now you go over and you lift up the edge of that white linen And you can't believe what you see. You see men crawling on their hands and knees. 
you notice some things in common. All of these men have lost their thumbs. All of these men have lost their big toes. All of these men have been mutilated and humiliated, and they are chained to the royal banquet table. There are 70 men underneath the banquet table, chained like dogs. Who did this a terrible thing? Adana Bezak did it. Adana Bezak was a despot and a cruel king. And he's gone out in military campaigns and he's conquered these men and brought them back one by one and chained them up and made them beg like dogs. You must admit with me tonight, this is a strange story. But every story in the Bible is there for a reason. It's not just by accident that God Almighty chose to put this story in his book. And I trust and pray tonight that God will deposit something unique in each and every one of our lives tonight. For a little while, I want to speak on the fall of Lord Lightning. And I believe that God wants to help us to understand the battle in which we face and how we overcome it. First of all, we need to watch out for the attacks of Satan. When you got up this morning and you were having your quiet time, did you ask yourself, what does the name of Donna Bezak mean? I mean, you know, got up this morning and saw the snow coming down, and first thing that came through your mind was, I wonder what a Donna Bezak means. Well, Donna Bezak means Lord Lightning. Adonai, Lord Bezak Lightning, he was called Lord Lightning. The reason he's called Lord Lightning is because he was a military strategist. The first thing he would do is would go out into campaigns and he would remove the thumb from his enemy. Because once he got rid of your thumb, you could no longer fight at your maximum anymore. You could fight to a degree, but you couldn't fight at the nth degree like you used to could when he got your thumb. Because you could no longer pick up your sword and go out to battle. You can no longer pick up that bow and use it like you used to. You can no longer throw that spear like you used to. Why? Because Adonabizak has removed your thumb. After he got your thumb, he would go after your big toe. The reason he would cut off your big toe is because you would not maintain the balance that you once had. You would not be able to run like you used to be able to run. We better get up tomorrow morning and thank God for those beautiful big toes. But Adana Bezak was a bone, uh, was a big toe collector. He would cut the big toe off because he knew that his adversary could never run fast enough where he could never, that he could not catch them. He would get rid of the thumb. He would go after the big toe, but then he would also go after his throne because these 70 men used to have their own kingdoms. These 70 men used to be their own kings. They used to have their own armies. They used to march out into victory to possess their land. But never again will there be a crown on their head. Never again will there be a scepter in their hand. Never again will there be authority in their voice because Adonabizak has robbed them of their throne. 
He's robbed them of their big toes. He's robbed them of their thumb. But you know what he ultimately wants? He wants the testimony. He would drag them back into town and he would humiliate them. He would mutilate them. He would make a spectacle out of them. He would make sure the people jeered at him and laughed at him. And one by one, he would drag them into the banquet hall. And he would chain them to the royal banquet table. And he would make them beg for their life. You say, well, what does that have to do with me tonight? What has everything to do with you and me who are following the Lord Jesus Christ? Because we've got to watch out for our spiritual thumb. When we lose our spiritual thumb, we're not able to fight the good fight of faith like we used to fight. We're no longer able to get a hold of the horns of the altar in prayer and touch the heart of God like we used to. We're not able to get to claim the promises of the word of God and apply them to our life. We, we are called to fight the good fight of faith. Now, in my natural inclination... I don't want to go out and fight. I can tell you that. I would rather swim the Atlantic Ocean. But you know what? There comes a time as a believer that you will have to fight the good fight of faith. I said it on Sunday. I'll say it again tonight. If God puts something in your heart that's worthy, there will come a time that you will have to fight for it. Uh, I know that you say, well, that won't happen to you. Well, it will. If you are a threat to the enemy, the enemy will do anything he can to fight against you and wear you down. You got to watch out for your thumbs. But not only must we watch out for our thumbs, but we've got to watch out for our spiritual big toes. You got to watch out for the balance in the Christian life. You see, a lot of people are willing to believe anything and everything. Listen to me. Just because 10,000 people go rah, rah, rah doesn't mean it's true. And just because people applaud doesn't mean it's right. Just because they say it's on Christian television doesn't mean it's Christian. Just because people say, well, I got something that's new doesn't mean it's true. Some people just have too much pizza the night before and they come up with a new idea. And they say, well, God told me. Well, if God told you, then it would line up with God's word. Then some people will say, well, if God was, uh, had said it, he'd say it this way. Well, what right do you have to put words in God's mouth? There's not a single person on the planet that has the authority to put words in God's mouth. Listen to me tonight. There's some things in the word of God that's not clear. There's some things about heaven we don't know. I've gotten quite comfortable in telling people, I don't know the answer to that. Some people try to put a facade up and say, well, I know this or I know that. Some people don't know they don't know. They walk around, don't know they don't know, and they act like they know, and everybody knows they don't know. You know, I just figure if you tell somebody you don't know, then when you do know something, they believe that you do know it. But if you go around saying, well, I know it, and people know that you don't, they just say, listen, he has no idea what he's talking about. So it's okay to... To say you don't know. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me how people will say some of the silliest things. I remember one time I was at a church service and I was listening to this particular person talking about their vision about heaven. And I thought, wow, okay, let me just tune in a little bit. And I was listening to the, the vision about heaven. And this, went on, this person went on to talk about how the angels are taking care of all the babies in heaven. 
I thought, really? I just don't recall reading that anywhere in the Bible. And, and she went on and said, I, I, the, all, the, all the babies that, that die, uh, they're in heaven, and, 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 and the angels are raising them. I thought, really? That's, that's interesting. And I thought, wow, you know, I didn't know that there was anything about time in heaven. I, I didn't know that you ever went from two to three in heaven. I didn't know that you ever went from five to six. Are you listening to me tonight? And I was just listening saying, well, that may sell some books. But that's not from God. You say, but could it happen? It's not, that's not my issue tonight. I've learned to stop where God stops, and I've learned to start where God starts. And, you know, if I spend the rest of my life just studying what God has already given me, that's going to keep me busy, and it's going to keep me out of trouble. I mean, there's enough in God's Word to keep us active from now until Jesus Christ comes back. Uh, I've just gotten very comfortable with simply saying, I start where he starts, I stop where he stops, and if that's not good enough for you, you take it up with him when you meet him face-to-face. And when you meet him face-to-face, it probably won't matter anyway. And, and you know, um, sometimes people say, well, when we get to heaven, we're all going to dance around the throne. Do you really think you're going to do that? When you finally see God for the very first time in all of your life, in all of his glory, and all of his might, and all of his power, and all of his authority, and you think you're just going to bounce around the throne? I mean, I, I, just don't, I just don't see that, folks. I think there's going to be such a holy, reverential awe of Almighty God. Yes, we're saved. We're saved by grace. Thank God we're saved. But, my friend, for the very first time, we have a glimpse of who God really is. It's amazing to me how people just lose their balance in the Christian life. And, and when we lose our big toe, we lose our ability to run from temptation. The Bible doesn't say fight temptation. The Bible says flee it. You know, if you find yourself in temptation, the best thing to do is to saturate that place with your absence and get out of it as fast as you can. Don't sit there and think you can overcome it. Run. You know, I so much appreciate Joseph. He may have left his coat, but he took his character with him. My friend, it's important that we watch out for our spiritual big toes. Then we have to watch out for our throne. We are to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We are to rule and reign with him. We are joint heirs with him. We are to live our life where God has put us. We are living our lives on the plane that Christ has ordained that we live our lives doesn't mean that we don't have problems. We have problems. If you don't have problems, I'd like to know about your life. Because I can tell you, a person who's following the Lord, they're going to have some problems. They're going to have some obstacles. They're going to have some challenges going to come their way. We are to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. But the, but the crown jewel of our Christian life is our testimony. Uh, one time, Billy Graham was interviewed and said, what's the, the most prized possession of your life? He said, my testimony, my integrity. You know, Dr. Graham is now 95 years old. But, you know, in those years that have gone by, it takes a lifetime to build it. It doesn't take very long to tear it down. We have to walk circumspectly. It doesn't mean we walk legalistically, but we walk circumspectly. It means there's some things we don't do. 
There's some things we do do. There's some things we say no to. There's some things we say yes to. We cultivate the, our nature, our character, as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important that we watch out for our testimony. Because if we lose it, we lose our ability to be a witness. We lose our ability to share Christ with others because our testimony has been wrecked and ruined. We have to watch for the attacks of Satan because Satan wants to come. He wants to rob us of our thumb, our big toe, our throne, and our testimony. Now, that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we won't take the time tonight to read it, but in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out 70. Now, this is the counterpart to what took place in Judges chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. Now, it's a very familiar story. And so not only must we watch for the attacks of Satan, but secondly, we must walk in the authority of the Savior. We must walk in the authority of the Savior. Now, Jesus is sending them out two by two on a dignified mission. They are his ambassadors. They're sent out representing him. They are sent ones. You and I are sent ones. We're on a dignified mission. We are his ambassadors. We're sent with a message from the king of the universe. Sometimes people like our message. Sometimes people don't like our message. But in the final analysis, it's not about the one bringing the message. It's about the one who sent the person with the message. See, it's really not about us. It's about the one who sent us. It's like when our ambassador goes out the, uh, from the state office, goes out abroad. Uh, he's not able to make policy. He simply articulates the policy of the president. And sometimes when he gets there, he's greeted warmly. Sometimes he's not greeted warmly. Sometimes the message is accepted. Sometimes the message isn't accepted. But the bottom line is the one who sent him. We're on a dignified mission. We have to realize that we're not just representing ourselves, our family, our church, our ministry, our, 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 our family, but we're representing the king of the universe. We are on a dignified mission. We are sent ones throughout the earth. And we're representing who the Lord Jesus Christ is. It's a dignified mission. But not only is it a dignified mission, but it is a difficult mission. Now listen to what Jesus says. He says, I'm sending you as, out as lambs among wolves. Now get the picture. Lambs among wolves. Now the last time I checked, you won't see lambs and wolves at the same barbecue. Last time I checked, you won't find lambs and wolves hanging out together. They don't like each other. Now, wolves dream about lambs, but lambs don't dream about wolves. Uh, wolves want to attack lambs. Lambs don't really appreciate wolves. He's saying, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Now, it's important that we understand where the battle is. The battle is in the harvest field. Now, listen to what Jesus says. He says, I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. And then he says, pray 
to the Lord of the harvest. Stop there a second. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Whose harvest is it? It's the Lord's. If there is a harvest, it's because he has given it to us. And somebody said, amen. It's not because we're bright enough or smart enough. If there is a harvest, it is because the Lord has given it to us. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth more laborers. Where does he say, pray that they'll send them to? To the harvest field. Now, I don't know what the needs are of this church, but I I can tell you this much. Um, You don't have enough workers. You don't have enough laborers. You can't put a sign on the front door that says, no help needed here. Uh, Let me tell you something else about this church, and no one has told me this. There are some people who are multitasking. There are some people who have multiple assignments that are doing many different volunteer things at this great church. And usually, it's 20% of the people that's doing 80% of the work. You know, uh, last night, they had the national teacup that took place on television. Um, it wasn't the bowl, it was the teacup and, uh, that they had. And some people got together and, and watched some people play ball. Now, there's some people that were sitting way up there in the, in the grandstands, uh, way up high with some of their buddies. And, and they've got the game all figured out. Now, it's not that they're going to get out there on the field. No, 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 no. They're way up here, and one guy says to the other guy, I can't believe this quarterback. I can't believe he's throwing the ball the way he's throwing. I, I'm telling you, if I was the quarterback, I would handle this game in a different way than this guy's having. And what is this guy? He can't hold a ball to save his life. Why don't they dip his hands in glue? And so he can hold on uh, to the pigskin when the quarterback throws it to him. And, and why does that coach keep doing what he's doing? And they just continue to talk and banter back and forth. But let me tell you something about those guys. They're not going to get out there on the grassy lawn. They're not going to get hit by a 350-pound gorilla. They are not going to get grass stains on their trousers. They're not going to get sweat on their brow. They're not going to get blood on their lip. No, they're going to sit up there in the grandstands, and they're going to tell everybody else what they ought to do and what they shouldn't do. And, you know, there's 80,000 people that need exercise and 22 people who need some rest. And there are people who just go rah, 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 rah. And then when their team wins, you know what they say? Well, we sure showed them tonight, didn't we? Well, I mean, we just came in. We just came in and took over tonight. They take credit for something they didn't do. They take credit for something they didn't even get involved in, and they use we when they ought to be saying they. They take ownership for something they didn't do. They take credit for something they didn't achieve. And then if things don't go right, they bash their team and say, you know what, we should have done it this way, we should have done it that way. But you know something that also happens in the body of Christ. There are a lot of people who sit up there in the grandstands, And they go, rah, rah, rah. They go, 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 go. And when things don't go right, I can't believe they sang that song today. I can't believe it was five degrees too hot or it was five degrees too cold. I can't believe that usher did not shake my hand when I came. And that person had purposely ignored me when I came through. And they carry on when they go back home. But you know what they're not going to do? They're not going to be an usher. 
They're not going to help in the music. They're not going to teach a Sunday school class. They're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. They're going to sit up in the grandstands. And if there is a victory, they say, well, didn't we show them? We surely, really, we really showed the devil how, to, how, how victorious we are. And if things are not going well, you know what they do? They criticize, they bicker, they murmur, they fuss, and they're complaining. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back into the harvest field. It's time to get back into the game of life. It's time to get back where the wolves are. I said it's time to get back where the devil is. It's time to get back where men and women need to be set free in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Oh, you say, well, that offends me. Well, afterwards, let's talk about it. Let's get it all straightened out. It's a difficult mission. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. There's some lambs who've not been next to a wolf in decades. Are you listening to me tonight? Lambs among wolves. That's where the battle is. That's where the harvest field is. It's time for us in North America to get back into the game. So many of us who sit on the watch television and say, oh, I can't believe they passed that law. I can't believe they did that. Oh, what planet are they on? And yet we haven't led anybody to Jesus Christ in 15 years. Listen to me tonight. We've got to get back to the harvest field. That's where the wolves are. But that's where the victory is. Wow. The victory is not up there in the grandstands. The victory is down on the playing field. It's a difficult mission. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a dignified mission, but it's also a disciplined mission. You know, Jesus says, travel light. You know, I uh, travel a lot, and I watch how people travel. Sometimes I laugh hilariously. I realize it doesn't happen here, but I watch people take the kitchen sink to the airport. I think, why are you doing that? You're only going to be gone a week. They got six bags. I'm thinking, Wow. Uh, don't you know that whatever you put on one side, you're going to get out on the other side? And, I, and watch people haul their luggage from place to place and place to place. And I think, wow, uh, about nine years ago, I quit checking bags. I haven't checked a bag in over nine years. It doesn't matter if I'm gone a day or three weeks. I am not going to haul my bags all over creation. I don't have the time to sit there at the carousel two months a year waiting for the bags to come around. I just don't have time. Sorry. Uh, you know, you, you say, well, that seems extreme. Well, it is extreme. I travel a lot. But I've learned to travel light. It's important that we learn to travel light. You know, the U-Haul is not going to be attached to the hearse when you go to the cemetery one day. Uh, whatever we have, we're going to leave here. We understand that, don't we? And whatever we become, we're taking to the Lord. Uh, some people just have too much extra baggage. Uh, a few years ago, I was in Detroit in ministry, and Sunday night, a gentleman came up to me and said, he said, hey, James, I'm not going to be able to be at the crusade during the week. I said, okay. And uh, so he walked off. Then he came back and said, can I tell you why I won't be there? I said, well, you don't have to. You can if you want. And he said, well, I've got two jobs. I said, well, I understand. A lot of us in North America have two jobs. He said, well, I got a second job because I bought a new boat a few months ago. I said, oh, okay. And um, and he said, so I'm working an extra 40 hours a week to pay off that boat. I said, wow. I said, that must be quite a boat for you to be willing to invest 40 hours of your life. That's 2,000 hours a year 
wow, that must be a spectacular boat for you to spend 2,000 hours of your life, five years, 10,000 hours of your life. Wow, that must be quite a yacht. And, um, and he said, um, uh, I said, well, how many times in a season would you get out there on that boat? He said, maybe seven or eight times in the summertime. Really? 2,000 hours, seven times on the Lake Michigan. Wow. I, got, I said to him, I guess you think that's a paid day, day off, too, when you go out there on that boat and spend 40 hours this week just trying to make that payment. And, and he just kind of looked at me, and I said, sir, you didn't get that boat. That boat got you. Now, am I against boats? No, I'm not against boats. But don't come back to the Lord and say you don't have time. Don't come back to the Lord and say, I, I don't have time to help here or help there. You decided that you'd rather put 40 hours of your life every week in that boat that one day won't float. Right? I mean, you do know that, right? Boats don't float forever. You know, um, a few weeks ago, my wife was taking me to the airport. We're coming out of the neighborhood, and I saw a sign that said, garage sale. And I said to my wife, my girls were in the car, I said, honey, that is false advertising. And she said, what do you mean? I said, they're not selling their garage. That is not true. Uh, they say garage sale. I said, they are not going to sell that garage. They're not going to cut the garage off and move it down. She said, now, honey, you know what they're doing. I said, I know. The reason why their car is on the driveway and not in the garage is because of all the stuff that's in the garage. I said, they used to park their car in the garage, but they can't anymore because of all the stuff they got inside. And so now they're going to open up the front door and they're going to sell what's inside the garage. And people from other garages are going to come and buy that stuff and take it to their garage. And I said, and then they're going to have a garage sale. And then they're going to sell their stuff and people come from another garage and take that stuff and put it in their garage. I said, I wish someday we could have a little GPS we could put on an item and we could start tracking it from garage to garage to garage to garage. That's kind of the way my mind works. And then maybe one day it ends up in California. Well, hey, they moved over there. Um, you know, but some people, when they get the garage full, that's not enough. And then they fill the, the shed in the backyard up. And they fill the attic up. And then after they get that, then they rent a storage unit across town. And they just keep filling it all up. And then when finally it's moving day, they have the audacity to believe that one truck is enough to haul their stuff from one place to another. And when they start getting ready, they start realizing, wait a minute, we're going to have to start unloading some of this stuff. They're going to start giving it away. They start throwing it away. They start burning it. They start trash. They start doing whatever they can to get rid of it because they realize they got too much stuff. Now, ladies and gentlemen, some things we just don't need. Some things we just don't need. Um... There's a difference between nicety and necessity. You know, the Lord said he'll take care of our necessities. Now, he's done more than that, has he not? He's taken care of our niceties as well. Has he not done that? He has. But he didn't say he had to, but he's done that. More than that. And, but sometimes we got so much extra baggage, we're not able to go out and do what the Lord has called us to do. Because we spend all our time paying this all, paying this all, paying that all, paying this all. And then if we get that paid all, we go get something else, pay this all, pay that all. And we, we limit ourselves. We have to discipline ourselves. Discipleship, discipline. We are lifelong learners. It is a disciplined life. It, it's, a, it's a difficult mission. It's a dignified mission. But it's a deliverance mission. Jesus sends them out, and the Bible says they go out preaching and teaching, and they go out casting out devils, healing the sick. Miracles are happening. 
Where? In the harvest field. Where? Where the wolves are. And people are being healed. And people are being set free. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, they all come back. Now, when these lambs come back, do they come back mutilated and humiliated? Do they come back discouraged and worn out and say, I'm glad that's over? Do they come back saying, I'm not going to go do that again? How do they come back? The Bible says in verse 17 that they come back rejoicing. They come back celebrating. They come back saying, in your name, this has happened. In your name, that has happened. And then Jesus said, he said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He saw the fall of Lord Lightning. It is now Satan who's lost his thumbs. It is now Satan who's lost his big toes. It is now Satan who has lost his throne. It is now Satan who's lost his testimony. It is now the devil that has been defeated. And in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we have the victory. Hallelujah. Oh, my friend, we have victory in the name of Jesus. Oh, And then Jesus says, I'm giving you my authority. Notice how he says it. I'm giving you my authority. Sometimes we as Christians say, take authority. No, you don't take authority. Authority is given. This is not a battle on who is the strongest. This is a battle regarding authority. And Jesus says, I'm giving you my authority, and with that authority, you're going to walk across the head of the serpent. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that tomorrow night we ought to bring some snakes in? Um, You know, there's only one kind of snake I like. I like dead snakes. I think dead snakes are incredible. How many of us agree? Dead snakes are pretty awesome. Um, I'm not known... Uh, and my house as being a snake killer. Uh, now, my wife, uh, she's quite famous about that. You know, Florida has a lot of things that like to eat you. And uh, alligators like to eat you. Snakes like to eat you. The bugs are big enough to eat you. Uh, and uh, so my wife, since we moved there, she's killed at least 15 snakes. And uh, roam around the yard. Uh, one got in the house. That wasn't a good experience. Uh, she didn't enjoy that very much. Uh, we've had some in the back. And, and, uh, but one time, one time, a snake slithered its way into the garage. I was there. Wow. I mean, that was pretty incredible. Um, and my two little girls who were standing behind me, this was a couple years ago. And my youngest girl, Priscilla, said, uh, Dad, snake. And I saw that little snake, you know, probably that long, uh, making its way. Uh, into the garage, and so I just grabbed something as fast as I could, and I grabbed a tennis racket. That's literally what Dad did. And I grabbed that tennis racket, and I started hitting that snake across the back of it, and that snake kept moving across, getting a little closer, and I just grabbed whatever's there. So I grabbed a ball bat, and I started hitting that snake with that ball bat, and my oldest daughter said, Dad, Mom uses a hoe. And I found that hole, and I cut that snake up, and then my girls went inside saying, Dad killed his first snake. Dad killed his first snake. I'm not known for killing snakes. The only kind of snake I like is a dead snake. What is Jesus saying? 
He's saying, you'll walk across the head of the devil. With his authority, you're going to walk across the head of the serpent, Satan. Then he says, and scorpions. Uh, is he saying that uh, we ought to get a bag full of scorpions and, and try to tackle that? No. The scorpions are demonic spirits. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, with my authority that I'm going to give to you, you're going to walk across Satan's entire kingdom. For the Christian, under Jesus means over the devil. Under equals over. We only have authority when we're under authority. When we get under his authority, we have the authority to go over the top of the devil. But if we're not living our life under him, all you have is power. Now, let me tell you something. If you think your power is up for the power of the devil, you're going to get a rude awakening. You know, there's nothing good about the devil. Uh, I tell my girls, hate the devil. Hate evil. You may dislike the weather, but you don't hate the weather. You save your hate for the devil. You save your hate for evil. You may dislike traffic, but you don't hate traffic. You save your hate for the devil and for evil. Even his name tells you there's nothing good about the devil. You take the letter away, D away, and he's evil. Take E away, he's vile. Take V away, he's ill. Take I away, he's on his way to hell. There's nothing good about the devil. Now, if you think in your own power you can conquer him, you're going to get a rude understanding because his power is greater than your power. I don't care if you've mastered the entire Bible. If you think by yourself and your own ability that you can overcome him, you're going to fail. The way you get over him is get under Jesus. When you get under Jesus, you get over the devil. When we get under his authority, we bring the devil down and we live victorious in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you see, there are a lot of people who like to name his name, but they're not living under that name. We have to live under Jesus' authority, and in his name, we have the victory. And if you believe it, say amen tonight. So what has he called us to? He's called us to get into the harvest field. He's called us to get close to the wolves. He's called us to get to where the darkness is on the edge and to believe the Lord for the supernatural, for the victory in the souls of people, in the lives of people, because that's where the cutting edge is. That's where the power is. And that's where God wants us to live our life. From time to time, I'm asked this, and I'll be finished. Sometimes I'm asked, say, James, why do we see more miracles overseas and more supernatural outpourings overseas, and we don't see them here as much as we used to? I just answered the question here tonight, the last 45 minutes. It is time to get to where the wolves are. It's time to get back in the harvest field. It's time to get back where we need to be and get under the authority of Jesus. And I tell you, my friend, the Lord will extend his hand. He will set people free, and people will be, come to know Christ as their personal Savior, and the church will be established because the Lord is in that business. And he's looking for people tonight who are willing to say, Lord, that's where I want to go. 
I want to live my life there because I know that when I live my life there, Lord, you are going to empower me to be victorious in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.